Philippians 3, 12 through 14. <clears throat> the, uh, I realized I didn't work the weeks out quite properly with the Heidelberg Catechism. So Padre Peter plans on doing one question and answer 116. And I thought, oh, we missed an extra week. So I decided to do that this morning, focusing on question and answer 114, 115. You see that here. So we'll follow the teaching from here. But it follows very closely to what Paul says, Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Let's read that together. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's, uh, I know some of you probably have a Punjabi copy as well, but let's read this together in English. Question and answer 114 and 115. You see how closely it follows. You see the reference to Philippians 3, 12 through 16 there as well. And this follows the Ten Commandments, the explanation of the Ten Commandments. And then question 114 asks, but can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose... They do begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness, and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image, until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. So I encourage you to keep this sheet before you as well. We plan to look at the teaching of this in light of uh, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. So we've come to the end of the commandments. Who of us here keep the Ten Commandments perfectly? Raise your hand. Nobody, not a soul, can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, can we? And you know, and that's one of the reasons why, too, people get very disappointed with Christians. Don't you hear that? Again and again, people become disappointed with Christians. Christians don't always walk their talk. And there's a lot to be disappointed about, isn't there? Most of all in ourselves. If we're honest, most of all the disappointment is in ourselves. There's the story of a person looking out his kitchen window. And as you're looking out his kitchen window... He always saw the dirty laundry hanging from the line of his neighbor. 
He said, look at how dirty our neighbor is. Until he realized that it was his own window that was dirty and needed washing. We should be most disappointed with ourselves. But the answer, the answer always, always, is not to look at ourselves. Because you look at yourself, you're disappointed. We're never, we never measure up to what God's standard is, do we? The moment God says, you should not murder, and you hate somebody, you've broken that commandment. The moment God says you should not covet in your jealousy and envy, we've broken that commandment. That's us, isn't it? But we should never look at ourselves. We should never compare ourselves to others. But we should look to Christ, to Jesus only, and trust him. He never disappoints. He's the lily of the valley, Song of Solomon. He's the bright and morning star of Revelation 22. He's your perfect Savior. Perfect. And you know, there's something very special about the work of God. The Bible says if we trust in Jesus Christ and His perfect righteousness to cover all our sins, how does God see us? Perfect. Perfect. And holy. Why? Because of Christ's atoning work on the cross for us, but also in our place. What did Christ come to do? He came to obey God's law perfectly for us. And through faith in Christ, God places on our account, God imputes to us, as another word, Christ's perfect obedience. We talk about a positional holiness. That's our status in Christ. (laughs) That's outside of ourselves. He sees us as perfect, holy. Every believer, young believer, mature believer, less holy or more holy. You know what the Bible says? We're all called saints. The Bible calls believers saints, holy ones. That's your exalted position in Christ. We should keep that in mind because that's where our hope is. The perfection of Christ that covers all of our sins. And yet, you see, you look at your own life, your own heart, it just doesn't match up, does it? It doesn't match up to our status. We don't always act holy. And we've seen over the last few weeks, haven't we, through the study of the Ten Commandments, The Holy Spirit convicts us again and again and again. If we don't break it with our actions and our hearts and our thoughts and our words, we realize that we need Christ. And you know, in light of what Paul says in Philippians 3, Paul knows it, and we should too. God calls us to be what we already are in Christ. And every one of us here has a long ways to go, don't we? And a long ways to grow. But we must make every effort to press on to repentance and faith. Press on. Keep on moving forward. And to know that God gives us the strength by His Spirit to 
continue to die to our old selves and to grow in our new self, God gives the grace for that. In light of question answer 114, 115, it really echoes what Paul says in Philippians 3. We see three things here. In Christ, you begin to obey. You begin. <laughs> We're talking about a beginning. You begin to obey. We see that in Philippians 3, verse 12, but also 114 of question and answer. The second thing we see is we not only begin to obey, but we also begin to grow in our obedience, become more and more mature as believers as life goes on. But the greatest thing is there's a day when you will reach perfection, not in this life, but you will reach perfection. That's the time of your resurrection from the dead at the time of Christ's return. We're going to look at each one of those points this morning. 3 verse 12 is the first one. 3 verse 13 is the second one. 3 verse 14 is the third one. But you see, first of all, in Christ, what happens? You begin to obey. And you look at question 114, it asks the question, can those converted, in other words, can those who are changed by Christ, changed by God in Christ, can we obey those commandments perfectly? Our teacher is not asking if anybody can. Our teacher is not asking if the world or unbelievers can. He's talking about believers. Can believers, can believers, those who desire to please God, can they obey these commandments perfectly? If you say yes, well, then John would call you a liar. And the truth is not in you. Anyone who says he does not sin is a liar. No. The answer is no. Our obedience, or you could say our love for God and our love for neighbor is far from perfect. Far from perfect. See answer 114? In this life, even the most holy among us have only a small, small beginning of this obedience. Small. Remember the giant disciple, Peter? A disciple of the Lord, one of the inner three? At one point he says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It wasn't just a false humility. This is how he really felt when he saw the Lord in all his holiness and his glory and his beauty. Apostle Paul called himself the greatest missionary. Okay? He called himself the worst of sinners. He wasn't just saying that to make people feel, to make people think that he was so humble. No, he meant it. It was real. It came from his heart. Because he knew that he persecuted believers. Speaking as a Christian, the Apostle Paul compares himself to God's law. He doesn't compare himself to other people, not to other Christians. He compares himself to God's law. And he's frustrated. He's frustrated with himself. And he says in Romans 7, what I want to do, I don't do. I don't practice. And what I hate, those are the things I find myself doing. Now sometimes people say, yeah, well Paul's just making excuses so that he can continue doing those things. No, he's not. He's frustrated. He's troubled. He's troubled. He calls himself a wretch. When he sees himself only. 
Ah, only a small beginning. Small beginning of this obedience. But it's a beginning. You know, some of us have little children here. Once they were babies. And it's like a baby taking its first steps. He stumbles, he falls, but the parent picks him up again and sets him on his feet to continue to walk. It's a beginning. It's a beginning. Isn't that us? He begins to walk. So it is with God's child. Think of it. We're adopted by God to be his children in Christ Jesus. And he knows we all have a beginning. Just a small beginning. But, says 114, answer 114, with all seriousness of purpose, in other words, with sincerity, they do begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments. With all seriousness of purpose, even in that little baby, he has that serious purpose to walk. He wants to walk. And that's what we see here. It expresses itself in different ways. Think of Psalm 1. When you begin with all seriousness of purpose to begin to live, what happens? You, you begin to avoid the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1 verse 1. You begin to avoid the path of sinners, the seed of the scornful. Instead, you begin to find delight in the word of God and you begin to meditate on those things that God speaks about in his word. Whatever you do, don't stop at where Paul says about himself, wretched man that I am. Don't stop there because there's no hope in that. If you look at yourself, there is no hope. Move on to what Paul says right after that. But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, that's the focus. <laughs> that's, that's our assurance. Not in ourselves. Apostle Paul, Philippians 3 verse 12. We come to Philippians 3 verse 12. He says that. I've not attained it. I'm not perfected. But I press on. I make every effort. Because I want to please my Lord who saved me. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. When did Jesus take hold of Paul? On the road of Damascus. He stopped him on his horse. And the Lord changed him. And now, with all seriousness of purpose, Paul says, that perfection, that crown of life, I want to lay hold of that. And I'm going to make every effort to, to thank my God, to walk in his ways, every effort to do that. I'm going to look to Christ. Yes, Paul sees himself, you could say, in a race. It's, it's the language of a race here, pressing on. Not looking behind him, not getting sidetracked by where others are in the race, but keeping his eyes focused on Christ, making every effort in Christ. We begin, we begin to obey. It's a beginning, isn't it? Jesus says these things. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my word. That's the work of the Spirit, isn't it? You know, there's a story. I think I just shared the story with somebody. There's a story of a child who wanted to make his dad and mom's bed. His dad and mom were not in the room. So, 
what he did, this little child, he took a sheet, the, the first sheet or the first blanket, tried as hard as he could to cover the mattress. But you know what? Half of that sheet was hanging on one side of the bed, almost touching the floor. It wasn't, neat, wasn't uh, dressed very neatly, the bed. And then he took the blanket and he put the blanket on with all his strength, with all his effort, put it on top of the other sheet, and the other half, or half of that blank was hanging over on the other side. And then he was so thankful that he showed his dad and mom. He says, look, mom, look, dad. What does dad and mom see? The love of his child. The love of their child. And likewise, we begin as little children, as children of the Lord, taking those steps by faith, stumbling, stumbling in so many different ways, falling. But we have that seriousness of purpose that we want to please our Heavenly Father. But we please Him not so that we can earn His acceptance. He's already accepted us. He's accepted us in Christ. He's justified us through faith in Christ. And because of that, we love Him. We're not afraid of Him. We love Him and we want to show Him our thanks. We want to show Him that we love Him. And so we make every effort to show our thanks to Him for all that He has done for us, adopting us as His children in Christ. You know, two days ago we had a lady come to the door to our home. And she was dressed in a hijab, a Muslim lady. And she wanted to share something with us. And then she says, but I pray. I pray every day. I have to pray every day. And if I don't, you know, so there was a relationship of fear. She's afraid of God. She thinks she has to do all these things because, well, she's not a child of the Lord. She's expressing fear. She's afraid. That's not how God wants us to see him. God has accepted us. He's washed us in Christ. And now, out of a heart of love and obedience, we want to begin to walk. Yeah, that's, that's the point. And you know what? God has given us a spirit so that at least we can make a beginning. But at the same time, God doesn't want us to stop there. Every baby, every child who learns to walk needs to become more steady in his walking, needs to mature, needs to grow. And that's where Apostle Paul would lead us in verse 13. And we also see that in the first part of answer 115 of our catechism. The obedience in Christ begins to grow. It begins to mature. We begin to die more and more to those sins that we hate. And by the grace of God, we become more and more like Jesus. See 115? What does God use to do that in our lives? He uses the Ten Commandments. That's why we read it every Sunday. Right? No one in this life can obey God's commandments perfectly. Why does God want them preached so pointedly? Why is he so strict in that he wants us to hear it every Sunday again? We're imperfect anyways. Yeah. But the Lord wants us to see our own sinfulness. And the only way we're going to see our own sinfulness is if is a place right before our hearts and before our eyes, the Ten Commandments, that is the Ten Commandments. Every Sunday, his commandments are held directly before our hearts 
and before our eyes. It's like a mirror. You look in the mirror. The mirror needs to be held before you. And what do you see in the mirror? The holy character of God. And as you see the holy character of God shining through the, the Ten Commandments, you can only be like Peter. Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. That's what God wants us to see. He wants us to see that we're not good. He wants us to see that we need to run to the one who is good. And that's Christ. That's where answer 115 leads us to. First, okay, why does God want the commandments preached so pointedly? He gives two reasons. The first is that the longer we live, so the older we get, we may, the more we may come to know our sinfulness. So as the older we get, more and more and more, we may see our own sinfulness. That's what God wants. But as we see our own sinfulness, that's also an impetus that drives us to Christ and to find our refuge in Him because that's the only place where you're going to find your refuge from sin. There is no other place. Forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Simply put, God wants to see our sin so that we see that we really need Jesus to forgive us. We need his righteousness. We need to hear the commandments. We need to hear the law again and again. As parents, we need to share the law with our children again and again. Deuteronomy 6, right? Every day, every day. We live in a society that says, hey, I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. We minimize sin. We talk it away. And we say, it's, it's not that serious. Nobody else thinks it's that serious. See, that's what happens when, when it's no longer placed before us, when the law of God is no longer put before us. And then we begin to laugh when children lie to dad. It's funny. <laughs> we brag when we cheat on our government forms and get extra benefits. Look what I got away with. And we justify hating our brother. Well, look what he did to me. Boy, we need the law. We need the law so that we can be put in our place. But so that we can see our need for Jesus. Yeah, if we don't know our sin, if we don't know our seriousness... You know what? We're not going to go to Jesus either. And if we don't have Jesus, we have no salvation. We have no covering. We have no refuge. Paul says this, Romans 7, verse 7, I would not have known what sin is, except through what? The law. The law. The law is a tool. The law is a tutor. The law is a sharp tool. Yeah, one way you feel cut down, but we should feel cut down. Because Christ is the one who is exalted. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. And we need to be reminded that again and again. We quickly forget that God is holy. He's perfect. And without Jesus, there is no forgiveness. There is no righteousness. There's no entrance into heaven. There's no entrance into glory. And so God uses his Holy Spirit. What's the main work of the Holy Spirit? The main work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin through the law, through the preaching of the law, so that we may run to the cross and 
lay it all before the cross again and again and again to find the Savior we need, the only Savior. The Holy Spirit leads his people there to the cross. Praise God. The righteousness you need is not in yourself. You're never going to reach that. The righteousness you need to get to heaven, you're never going to attain that. But the righteousness you need, God has given in Christ to all who believe. What does Paul say in Romans 3? The righteousness of God, that is the righteousness we need, is apart from the law, and that's been revealed. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, being justified. How are we justified? By His grace. In whom? Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Find your rest in Christ. He declares us righteous through faith in Christ. God wants that I, the longer I live, the more I should see my sinfulness. It's not a bad thing. When you see your sin, that's exactly what God wants. He wants us to see it in ourselves. We should be disappointed in ourselves. That's the way God wants it. But he doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to run to Christ more and more and more. And as we do that, what happens is that we begin to die to the old self and we become to look more and more like Jesus. Only then can I, as this child, begin to grow in my love for him and in my obedience to him. Yeah. Apostle Paul, the awareness of his sin never made him doubt his salvation. Apostle Paul had lots of sins. He talked about that. But he never doubted his salvation. As a matter of fact, he took hold of Christ. That was his assurance. Look at Philippians 3, verse 13. Brothers, I do not account myself, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I've not reached that goal in my life to be perfect. But one thing I do, what does he do? Forgetting all those things which are behind and reaching forward. Reaching forward is a sense of effort by the grace of God to those things which are ahead. What do you hear here? You hear his confession of imperfection. In this race, he does one thing. He forgets those things which are behind. What things? Those sins of the past. He forgets them. Boy, he committed heinous sins. He knows it. But he's not stuck there. He's not spinning his tires in him. He's not confident in himself. He's not. His confidence is in Christ. And to know that, that he's forgiven in Christ, gives him all the more drive to, to love his Savior, to become more and more conformed to his Savior. He is confident he's going to reach his goal. What is that goal? And that brings us to the third point. And also the last verse of Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3 verse 14. The certain goal is what? Perfection. Completion at the resurrection. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 11. He was just talking about the resurrection. If I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> there's the goal. The resurrection from the dead. That's when the perfection comes. 
So why does God want the commandments preached so pointedly? Second, 115, the answer says, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. That's what the Apostle Paul brings in Philippians 3.14, and that's what we see echoed here in answer 115. Wow. Never stop striving. Never give up. Never think that you're too sinful. Never stop making the effort to become more and more like Christ, to be renewed more and more like Him. It takes effort by the grace of God and by the powerful working of the Spirit. How often does Paul say, put off lying, put off stealing, put off those things, put on, die, live. Yeah, it takes a lot of, it often involves pain and sacrifice, but never stop striving to be conformed to the image of Christ. One person put it this way, the Christian life is a life of striving and pursuing. And then he gives a whole bunch of examples from the Bible. It's striving in prayer together, Romans 15.30. It's striving in building others up, 1 Corinthians 14.12. It's striving together for the faith of the gospel, Philippians 1.27. It's striving to enter that rest, Philippians or Hebrews 4, verse 11. It's pursuing for peace and holiness, Hebrews 12.14. It's a life of pursuing the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another, Romans 14.19. It's a pursuing love, 1 Corinthians 14.1. 1 Timothy 6.11 says it is pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Wow. You have God's grace. You do in Christ. Ask him to help you. He has given his Holy Spirit for that. You have his Holy Spirit. Pursue it. Pursue those resources that he has given you. That you may continue to grow like Christ. You might say, well, there's never a moment of rest. No, the Christian life is a life of war. War, first of all, against ourself. Isn't it? Yeah. Our disappointments should always be in ourselves. But there is rest for all who come to Christ. Jesus says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Christ forgives, know this, that you can have the assurance that you may live out of that joy of forgiveness. It's only by the joy of forgiveness that we're no longer stuck in the past, stuck in our sins, but we may motor forward, making every effort Pressing on. It's a life of praying without ceasing. It's a life of constant renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The goal of all our maturing, growing in obedience, is that the image of Jesus may be reproduced in us. Think of the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. That's the first goal to be reached on earth. The second goal for God's children will be reached in eternity. After this life on earth, perfection. We will never reach perfection in this world. We may sometimes have, we may sometimes be perfectionist, but yeah, we will never reach it. 
in this life. John says that when Jesus returns, what does he say? We shall be like him. 1 John 3 verse 3. For we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Apostle Paul, who sees himself pressing onward in the race, says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That call Paul heard and answered when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. That same call is addressed to all of us. Who's the prize? God. Seeing God, the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. The fullness of fellowship. The crown of life. That's the goal. That's the goal. Paul has set his eye on that goal. Don't get distracted by the things of this life. Keep your eye focused on the goal. As you raise your children, keep that eye focused on the goal. As you do your work, keep that eye focused on the goal. And press forward because our confidence is in Christ and his perfect work. For he who began a good work in you, says Philippians, will also complete it. That's our confidence. Let us, by the grace of God, together, let us as a congregation continue to press forward towards the finish line. Be patient, but be courageous, looking unto Jesus. Be encouraged by God's grace. Hebrews 12 says, Let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen.